Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 Special Trade Deadline Edition. Live from the mobile Kintec studio at Rogers Arena, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. One hour until the trade deadline. Now, former Canucks general manager Dave Nonis is going to join us uh, momentarily here. Really looking forward to chatting uh, with Dave as we do every Friday about some of his trade deadline memories and experiences and also some of his reaction to things happening around the league. But, uh, yeah, as we sit here with one hour left, not a ton happening, which probably shouldn't be that much of a surprise considering the incredible volume of activity in the last couple weeks, Strats. Black Friday happened, and now it's Saturday, mm. right? Like, the, the the fire sale has been raging ever since. And the Canucks got this started with the Horvat trade. The moment the Canucks sold Horvat, it's been one of the most fascinating months of NHL transactions that we've ever seen. With prices so bloated that teams in the playoff race got in, involved into it, right? And money and cap stresses shaping everything. Um it really sets up not just a fascinating, loaded playoff run, particularly in the Eastern oh, Conference, yeah. where most of the most where, where where teams were most aggressive buying. But I think it sets up some really fascinating things for this offseason, right? And and that might be where the Canucks have to make some of their bigger moves, some of the, some of the bigger dents. And I think you're going to see teams be pretty stressed out too in terms of the decisions that they have to make. You know, you look at Boston; like Boston's got some bonus overage money too that's going to really shape their offseason. They have some really good players signed. They're going to face some really tricky decisions with them, particularly in the wake of David Pasternak's extension, and definitely depending on what David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron decide to do. Uh, Colorado, I mean, you look up and down the list. Like, there's going to be massive ramifications for the teams that are all in and going for it um, that sort of shake loose and shape the trade market this summer. It's, uh, you know, we're... The trade deadline hasn't just been a ton of fun in the NHL, but it sets up a, a more exciting playoff battle, and then it's going to set up a really fascinating offseason. Uh, and we're now very pleased to be joined on the line by former Canucks general manager, former Leafs general manager, longtime NHL executive Dave Nonis. Dave, thanks very much for doing this as always. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Uh, fantastic day, always exciting for uh, for us in the media. And so we're here an hour until the deadline and, and I'm sure it was different from year to year, but what was your kind of typical experience as an NHL executive right now in this moment, one hour left before the NHL trade deadline? Well, this is definitely a different year. Uh, sometimes with an hour left, you're, you're waiting to see if you're going to land a, a, you know, a bigger fish, if there's uh, you know, a deal you've been working on a long time and, and it's a, a big name. But this has been a year where most of the big names are, are pretty much out the door already. So I, I would expect now what teams are looking at is, you know, summer bar, you know, bargain basement shopping, seeing if they can get some depth for very little. Uh, some are circling back on, on players that they've uh, inquired about over the last seven to ten days. Uh, and then the sellers, I think, are if they haven't sold by now, they're making a determination of whether or not they want to drop their price to the point where they can move the player at, at all costs. Dave, does the deadline ever shape up where the last hour before uh, the clock hits noon uh, Pacific time anyway is almost like dull? Like, are you ever are, are there ever situations where a management team is done 
and this last hour is like you're already exhaling? Yeah, no question. That happens. Uh, in fact, that happens a lot. Uh, <laughs> you might be waiting on a phone call, but it, you know, the last hour um, over the, you know, I'm not sure how many I went through. Well over 25. Um, the last hour often is slow because you've, you know, you've done all you can. If you haven't heard back, then it, it sometimes just time just runs out. It's the last four to six minutes where you know where you might get that call back, and that has happened over the you know several times. Uh, it'll happen again today where you you're down to the minute, uh, and you have to get that that uh, call in registered with the league, or you, or the or the trade won't go through. That does happen. That's probably the most. Uh, and again, it's often not with with high impact players, but that's sometimes the most stressful parts of the of the last you know hours. Is when a trade does come to you in the last few minutes, it's making sure you can get it registered. Dave, as someone who's been in the chair, but also as a, a, just a fan of the sport, have you enjoyed the amount of movement, the aggressiveness that some teams have shown in buying over the course of the past month? Yeah, it's been fun to watch. I, I think it's <laughs> been really entertaining. Uh, it's been good for raising the interest level of the sport. Uh, you know, I think it's it's going to be um, interest to do a post-mortem after the playoffs are over you mm. know, to see who would really have made those decisions and who wouldn't. We're going to have some really good teams that have spent a lot um, to try to improve their team. We're going to see several out in the first round. And so it's, it's not saying that they shouldn't have done it. Um, it's just the fact that there's going to be some disappointment, um, you know, within the next several months at looking at their, their prospect list or their, or their you know, draft capital and say, was that worth it for four games, uh, four home games or three home games? And that, that's going to happen. There's, there's no way around it. Just look at the way the first round is set up right now, particularly in the East. You're going to see a couple of really good teams knocked out in the first round. And Dave, especially in the East, you know, one of the phrases we've heard used a lot is the idea of an arms race between the contenders in the Eastern Conference as they continue to, you know, one team makes a move, then another team responds, then the first team seems like they go and make another move. How much does that play into the thinking of an executive? When you see a rival in your conference go and do something, how much does it increase your desire and your appetite to be aggressive as well? Well, I think just human nature, it it probably does. It impacts, you know, what you're thinking or makes you think harder about what you're willing to do, but you still have to look at where you are as an organization and is adding a player at all costs really going to make you know, that big of a difference. And, you know, you, you look at, and sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. You look at Boston, the teams are running away with it and they made some significant moves, but the moves that they made, I think were, were aimed at making their team much better. I think they did improve their team by making those, those moves. You look at the Carolina Hurricanes, they've done a little, but not a ton. Um, but their winning percentage isn't that far off. I mean, that's, that's a team that has a chance to win. They're, they're looking at it from a different angle. They're looking at it from the angle of, we already have a chance to compete. We need to add a couple pieces. They've added a few, you know, few that I think are, are good ads. But they haven't gone out there and, and laid everything on the line, gone all in, because in their analysis, uh, it, it really is, isn't going to help them improve their odds that much. They think they're good enough to try to win the way they are. So it depends on how you look at it and where your team is. Like I said, I, I think that the Boston Bruins did a great job of adding pieces. They're very good pieces. Uh, I think it'll help them um, as they move along in the playoffs. 
but that's not right for every team. Uh, and one of the things on the kind of the flip side, and you know, to your point about you really have to know where your team stands. We've seen teams like Washington, Detroit, even St. Louis a little bit earlier, Nashville, who are maybe could still talk themselves into being in the playoff race, end up turning into sellers uh, ahead of the deadline and selling some pretty significant pieces. W- were you ever in a situation where you were kind of on the fence one way or another going into the deadline season and then made the decision, all right, you know what, we're not close enough, we're going to sell? Well, my last year in Toronto, you know, we were in, in the playoff hunt right, right down to you know, the last uh, month and a half or so of the season, maybe two months, and things just started you know, falling off. Uh, I made the, made the decision then, even though the trades weren't executed until – we got closer to the deadline. We started shopping players uh, when we were still, you know, three or four points out um, because I just looked at our club and felt that we weren't good enough to, A, get in. But if we did get in, it was going to be, you know, four games and out. And at that point, it was it was uh, our decision that we should start shopping the players. So, yeah, that's one where, you know, we technically, when we made the decision, uh, met with ownership and told them, you know, they were, at that point, they were saying, you're not that far away. And, the answer was we really were that far away. Even though point-wise we weren't, we weren't good enough to get in. We made a determination well before the deadline that we had to start moving players. Uh, one of the th- things we've seen is that prices have been pretty high, especially in terms of draft capital for players. Is that the kind of thing that could spur a team like the Red Wings or the Predators to say, you know what, we can't we can't say no to these prices if that's what we're going to be able to get back for our players? Uh, I think that's a little bit. Um, you know, if you want to get a solid return, particularly if you move on a player that's not UFA. If you're mm. moving a player under contract or, you know, you have their, their rights for a significant amount of time, you want to make sure that, that, that you know, what you're getting back measures up with the player you're giving up. Um, sometimes it's enticing to hear, I'm going to get a first-round pick for this guy. But depending on where your team is in terms of their development, that first-round pick could be five years away. Um and that's okay for some teams. Some teams that are looking at a five-year, you know, rebuild, that's perfectly understandable. But for teams that are halfway there, um, sometimes you, you you might not want to do that. You might want to look at the player as opposed to the pick. So it's really where your club is at. There really isn't a, an answer that one is better than the other. But I do think that the first-round picks that have you know, been traded uh, over the last several weeks, you know, it, it's, uh, it's startling. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, I remember, you know, 15 years, 20 years ago, squeezing an extra second out of somebody was hard. And, and now that, you know, that's really changed. It's not, it's not like that anymore. It's standard practice to move that, that first round pick, particularly for teams who feel that their window is open. Dave, the inverse of that, you know, just the facts of the matter is the Canucks are currently 27th in point percentage. Um, over the course of deadline season, they've added cap commitments to the point where they have more caps committed going into next season than the Tampa Bay Lightning do. And, you know, they've effectively been flat year over year in terms of their draft equity. Given where this team is, were you surprised to see them buy at the deadline on a player like Philip Hironik? Uh Yeah, I probably was a little bit surprised. And not because of, I don't like the player i mean he's on pace for 50 50 plus points i believe this year yep uh and i think i think he's going to be a really good ad for them um and it's a it's a very good player so it's not like they acquired someone and you're shaking your head so what were they thinking for adding a guy 
who makes you know four plus million. He's not very good. They added a guy who makes four plus million and who is very good. Um, I think that their plan, without talking to them, is to try to find another way of shedding some salary. Because you know, if you if you if, uh, if you start adding defensemen who uh, are going to get fifty plus points, which again he's on pace of doing, and if he does it again next year, you look at what that player is going to make in year you know in year three, and it's a lot more than four million. So that cap commitment is going to even jump even higher. So I would think that their plan is to is to lower their cap commitment. How they do that, I don't know, but I'm sure that they've talked about it. There's some pretty intelligent people in the office there that they can, they've got a plan to try to lower uh, their cap commitments and add a player like Veronica at the same time. With a team like Vancouver that obviously doesn't want to rebuild, how do you weight draft pick value versus... Uh, the value of a, of a 25 year old guy like how, is a team with high end talent like Pedersen and Hughes and Demko that are sort of all mid 20s guys um is it just too hard to enter sort of a longer view build given the pressure that that creates i think it might make it a little more difficult listen the plan of of, of any winning team if you look back we'll go back to colorado mm. um you know, they tried to put together a core, uh, uh, their core group that were around the same age. When you, you know, there's got to be a band there. It's not they're all not going to all be 26. It might be, you know, 24 to 28. Uh, so there's there's a there's a, a, a spread where you want to have your core players, uh, and and you can have some outliers. You might have a you know star player that's playing well in, into his early 30s, or someone who's you know in his early 20s, but. Generally, you're going to see a group that's in that middle range. So if you've already got two or three players there, yeah, sometimes it's hard to say, okay, we're going to add a bunch of picks and we're going to rebuild with them. Because by the time those picks are are, are established, uh, those players you've got right now that are in the early and mid-20s might be outside that window. And that's what makes it difficult um, for, for teams like that, that have, you know, they have commitments, they've got good young players, but the band that makes up the core doesn't necessarily match up. And, you know that might be one of the reasons why they added Ronick because he does fit into that same same age group, uh, and he could be a big part of that core if they can move some other pieces up. In conversation with former Canucks general manager Dave Nonis here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty, uh, and you know Dave, as you mentioned there, maybe it's a little harder to do a, a longer term rebuild when you have stars like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes playing like they are this season. Is there a risk though that? you know, letting that fact influence you too much into making kind of present day moves might lead you to making some mistakes that you'll regret down the road, down the road. Oh, it could. That's why you have to really evaluate who you're bringing in and also who you're retaining. Like if, if you're trying to just match up players that are of like age, uh, that is dangerous because you're not necessarily going to add players that are high enough quality. Uh, that are you know of that age group in order to to build a solid core. Most teams aren't letting players that age go if they believe that they're core players. So yeah, they could you could end up adding you know players that fit the right age group and even maybe the right uh, right salary commitment, but they don't fit the the part of uh, of being adequate core players. And uh, if your core isn't strong enough, your your secondary players aren't going to be good enough to get you over the hump. 
So, Dave, uh, you, before we let you go, you know, you you told us the great Luongo to Toronto trade that almost materialized but didn't. Uh, you told us about that a few weeks ago. Do you have another trade deadline memory or story that stands out to you, whether it's, you know, one that almost came together or a trade that did come together for you and you're happy about it at the last minute? What stands out to you when you look at some of the, the most memorable experiences uh, for you at the trade deadline? Well, actually, one of the couple of the most memorable ones were ones that were the most difficult, you know. After, uh, you know, we, when, when uh, Todd got uh, suspended, uh, the Moore incident there, we, we had a pretty good uh, club and we were moving along pretty well, but we were left with almost no time to try to, uh, to, try to replace his offense and the way he was playing. Well, that was a, a, a trade deadline where we were looking at, at uh, adding players with virtually nothing set, you know, nothing talked about prior to it, which made it very, very difficult. So, that might be one of the most memorable, but also the most difficult ones that we ever went through. Dave, really appreciate the time, uh, and uh, we'll we'll look forward to chatting again and kind of uh, discussing the aftermath of whatever transpires here before the deadline. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Yeah, sounds good, guys. Enjoy the next hour. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we will. That is Canucks former <laughs> GM and uh, longtime NHL executive, of course, also a GM with the Leafs, Dave Nonis. Always really enjoyed chatting with Dave. All right, we had a trade break, uh, not Canucks related, but a trade break while we were chatting with Nonis. We go to the trade desk and producer Dom. Uh, Dave Pinota and Elliot Freeman both reporting now that Jordan Greenway has been traded from Minnesota to Buffalo. All right, that is... Uh, another move around the NHL, the Trade Desk brought to you by Jags Furniture and Mattress, the Lower Mainland's favorite furniture and mattress destination. Visit Jags showrooms in Langley and Abbotsford or online at jagsfurniture.ca. We'll wait to see exactly what the return is there. Um, sounds like it's a second and a fifth. A second and a fifth. Yeah. All right, very good. Uh, and so we've heard so much about uh, Minnesota and their salary cap situation, and obviously – not an insignificant hit for Jordan Greenway. We know he's the type of player that teams are willing to bet on. Obviously, we saw it with Tanner Janot, who's having a down offensive year, but still brought that haul. Greenway fits into that category, right? Only two goals in 45 games, but still has that element that teams love. So David Pinata has it as a 2023 second and a 2024 fifth for Greenway. And Shana Goldman, yep. our colleague and frequent guest, has the Wild using some of that created space to acquire Oscar Sunkvist from the St. Louis Blues. Uh, return TBD. So, really quickly, I'm just surprised that Greenway had positive value. Frankly, like on well, that on that contract, I thought he would be tougher to move all around. Isn't that something that we? To me, that's been kind of a surprise of this deadline. Like Greenway has moved, Granlund has moved. You know, Niederreiter, I really really like as a player, but that's another guy with term who was uh, who was able to. Um, uh, to to move and get a positive return. Uh, I, I see Rick Dollywell just tweeting that the Wild are clearing cap space. Is it possible they'll be able to get it on Besser? But again, with them going the out and getting Oscar, Oscar Sundqvist, yeah. it seems like that's the, the move Besser, that they're creating the cap space Besser for. Besser just does not make sense for the Wild as much as they like the player and the person, right? Because they have the $14 million in um, <laughs> buyout cost for Suter and Parise that sort of expands for the next two seasons. Like, the duration of Besser's contract happens to coincide with the crunchiest cap years for the Wild. If Besser was on an expiring deal, right? If Besser, if the Canucks had just qualified Besser at seven and a half, the Wild would do that trade for sure, and probably at a at not like a great return, but like a decent return. 
based off the season Bessers having. They're desperate for secondary scoring. They believe in the player and the person. They just don't have the cap flexibility to make it work right now. And really, Greenway was the kind of quote-unquote bad contract that you would look at them moving. Like, they have other pieces, but there's no one where you really say, oh, that's going to they're going to move that guy, and it's going to free up a big chunk of cap space no. in order to allow them to do that deal. One guy I thought was really good last night, by the way, in, in the um, game that we watched at Rogers Arena was uh, Frederick Gaudreau, mm-hmm. who's a pending UFA, uh, and I think is a second-line center. I wonder if that's a guy the Canucks might end up looking at. He was in Pittsburgh previously, right? So there's some familiarity there for new management. Um, he's a good player. Like, he's genuinely a good player. Uh, this text comes in from Rager. Dakota Joshua, would he be more valuable than Greenway? I think, again, Greenway has the longer track record in the NHL. I, I can see a position where Dakota Joshua, in more minutes, next trade deadline becomes a really, really interesting piece. I don't know if he has that same rep around the league, though, to kind of, at but, this point, to kind of boost his value. It's hard to know, though, with the contract. I actually think right now... You, I would expect a player like Joshua to be able to return something pretty similar just because of the attractiveness of the cap hit. Uh, versus and the fact that he's under contract for next year right, as well. Versus the fact that Greenway's deal sort of limits his value. But Greenway's, uh, you know, a, to- a top six rate scorer the last few years. Um, whereas Green, well, sorry, whereas Joshua obviously doesn't quite have that track record yet. One thing I would say, though, is I think Greenway in the assessment of a lot of talent evaluators around the league is trending toward being the player that Joshua was signed by the Canucks to be. Like, maybe he's a fourth-line mm. heavy type as opposed to a top-six power forward type, particularly given uh, what he's accomplished away from two real drivers that he's spent so much of the last few seasons with in Felino and Yoel Eriksson. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, Minnesota Wild insider extraordinaire Michael Russo with the full details. 2023 second-round pick, 2024 fifth-round pick, no salary retained. Wow. So they free $3 million That's in the next huge. two years. So, man, you get positive assets, including a pretty decent pick, and you free up $3 million on your books for each of the next two years. And uh, yeah, that's, as I was saying, I mean, we've, we've seen a little bit more from term and cap move than I was expecting. And I do wonder, I mean, like, really, you're telling me you can get a second and a fifth and you get all of Greenway off your books? But Besser's completely unmovable, but Connor Garland is completely unmovable? I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, though, right, if you're Buffalo, okay, you've got a lot of skilled young forwards. A lot of them are on the smallish side, Right. Greenway's upside case is that you're getting a heavy press to help you in the middle six, right? A guy who can play and complement skilled players, but bring a six foot six body that can, you know, uh, throw its weight around a little bit uh, on one of those lines. What's the downside case? You get a six foot six guy who can bring a ton of energy and speed yep. and a dimension. And it's a two to your year fourth line, two year commitment, and, and you have oodles of cap space, right? Like acquiring Greenway takes nothing off the table. For, for Buffalo, Garland is probably appealing. Like, I'm not saying Buffalo might not be – like, that might be a, a, a team that the Canucks end up talking to. Uh, same same with Besser. But for those teams, those guys don't have, like, a floor case where, like, if they're not a difference maker for us, do they still help us? Greenway, you say yes. Besser and Garland, you don't. And that's sort of the main difference I'd, I'd expect in how they'd assess it. Plus – the Greenway commitment is shorter, and for about half the money, 
Yeah, investors can. Same commitment as the Besser one, same length, but half the money. But half the money. Yeah. And, less and, than and, half and, the money. and in Garland's case, significantly less. Like yeah. the total commitment, right? You're you're looking at six versus thirteen or fifteen or for fifteen. Garland. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge difference. Um, just a, a quick note from Darren Drager, who says Buffalo sending the second they got from Vegas in the Eichel trade mm. uh, to Minnesota, so not their own second round pick there. They'll still have. That one. Uh, and quick update just before we go to break from our guy, Satyar Shah, who, while we were chatting with Dave Nonis, tweets, an hour to go, nothing seems imminent as far as an announcement for the Canucks, but they're still in active discussion. So with a half hour to go here, we will see. Shedding money. If they're able to shed some money here, that would be a huge win for this team. I think without that, we have to look at this deadline as a significant complication. A setback, frankly, for this organization. They need to shed money to set themselves up to continue. To, it, like, okay, they have to protect so, themselves from the pain they're facing this offseason. But we let, we're all living in this world now where we know what the plan is for next year, right? It's to try to be competitive. Like, you still need to shed money to help you to that goal. Well, and right, and, and, even if you accept that that's the goal, you still need to clear money to do that. And from the person who's going to be fading that, right? Who's going to look at that goal as being, you know, self ruinous? <laughs> um, you have to find ways to shed that money without completely hooping your ability to change direction in the event that it doesn't work, right? I'm not saying you can't be all in on next season. I'm not saying they're not going to be all in on next season. Clearly they are. But find a way to do it that doesn't crush you if it doesn't work, right? Find a way to avoid the mistake of 2021 where they went all in on OEL and Garland and company and built a team that, as we've seen since Rutherford and Alvin took over, was impossible to disassemble. All right, half hour to go before the deadline. We'll take another break. More trade deadline analysis and coverage coming up on a special edition of Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, special trade deadline edition here on Sportsnet 650. With Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance, live from the Mobile Kintec studio at Rogers Arena. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Gym Sunglasses, born on the beaches of Hawaii. Maui Gym Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses. That protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. So we are half hour or less than 25 minutes, basically, away from the NHL trade deadline. The Canucks uh, have not done anything beyond the Curtis Lazar to New Jersey for a future fourth round pick deal uh, that transpired this morning. And by the way, we had Curtis Lazar on shortly after we began our program. You can go download the po- podcast right now uh, from wherever you get your podcast. Great to chat with Curtis Lazar as he gets set to join the New Jersey Devils. And of course, uh, we'll have you updated if anything does or does not happen, as the case is with the Canucks here before the deadline. I wanted to read this pick. There's been a lot of chatter. Um, on Twitter, reports from insiders about 
what the Canucks have been doing with JT Miller, Connor Garland. I want to read this text. Uh, Regarding reports that there's actually interest in players like Miller or Garland in the form of draft picks, but the Canucks don't want picks back, can you offer any explanation for the logic of that? Surely management, as experienced as Rutherford, must know you can get picks and use them for other things, even if we think that's the wrong thing to do. How do you explain a management team acting like that in today's NHL? Well, I know they are aware of that because they just did it. (laughs) Yeah. So... I find that a little hard to believe that they would flat out say, we've got these really good draft picks on the table, but we can't do a deal for that because it's not a player. They they just took a really good draft pick and then turned it into a player at a position of need. You can hate the move as much as you want, but they're clearly capable of doing it and know that that's a thing you can do. Well, uh, my guess would be that it's my, like sometimes there's an asset, like a disagreement over the assets in a deal. And it can be summarized as, like, they want this for that, but, in fact, it's a value thing, right? That that would be a simple explanation that squares both sides of that uh, particular... Yes, that makes divide. a lot more sense to me than, no, 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 no. We couldn't possibly accept a draft pick in this trade when they just went out and prioritized getting a good draft pick uh, in the Bo Horvat deal. Well, and it's going to be fascinating to see what Canucks management, who haven't spoken this week... Um, you know, when they do face the media following the deadline passing, what they have to say about exactly what transpired with Miller and where the club is at in regards to their star forward, right? Who, of course, is signed to an eight year or seven year, $56 million extension that is yet to kick in. Yes. And we've also, I mean, who knows? Like, as Batch was saying earlier, it's pretty hard to look at everything that transpired this week around JT Miller, the noise, just the sheer volume of noise and smoke, and not think that maybe something was going on. There is that one other kind of deadline opportunity ahead of the draft. We're at the draft before his uh, no-trade clause kicks in, so who knows? As you said, the JT story, it's never going to go away until it's actually done, and maybe not even that. So <laughs> we will see. We will, we'll, we'll, at this point... Get ready for some more JT Miller trade discussion ahead of this oh year's goodness. draft. I'm I'm excited personally. No, I can't. Do when it I when I, I put it out on Twitter that we're doing this forever, I wasn't complaining. No, I was. <laughs> I, I live was. for this. I don't know. I mean, it would be nice to have a resolution at some point. <laughs> that, that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, but anyways, so we we just got into it a little bit before uh, we went to break. There, the um, the clear priority has to be for the Canucks right now. Is there any way in the next 25 minutes before the deadline wraps up that you can make your job this summer easier by finally, finally starting to clear some of your salary cap space uh, off the books after adding a ton of salary commitments to next year already? Because again, look, I get it. Okay, people are texting in, you know, well, the, the plan is to retool, so start evaluating it that way. That's fair, I'm, but even I, if they I'm do... Sorry, I Why? Even if they do the OEL buyout. <laughs> I, we don't have to accept the premise that this team continually trading a small marginal boost in their short-term playoff odds is worth the pain that comes with it long-term. Like, I, I don't think we have to accept that premise. Okay, let's say they buy out OEL. And in fact, I flatly am going to refuse to do so. <laughs> let's say they buy out OEL, and let's say they get rid of Tyler Myers. Okay? Somehow. One way or another. So now you have Quinn Hughes, Philip Ronick, and Ethan Bear, if he's signed. Boy, you got a lot of work to do well, to build out that blue line. If he's signed, like this is not a simple like Ethan Bear's not going to be affordable. Ethan Bear has arbitration rights. Ethan Bear's played a big role for this team since coming over. He's played top pair minutes some nights. Right? Like it's not as simple as and then you've got Ethan Bear signed cuz he's an RFA. That's a 
least at least a two and a half, probably a three million dollar contract, right? Like you actually have to manufacture the space to even do that. Yeah, you have again whether this is what people wh- are whichever whichever here. the okay. So it's the goal is to retool, but even in that frame. Clearing cap space is vitally, vitally important. Like, is the number one thing no, they need to do you, you going forward. You can't even finish this team without some measure of pain here. That's part of the opportunity cost I'm talking about. Like, it's really hard to move money. Really hard. Right? The Greenway deal, we're looking at that and we're like, wow, I'm surprised the Wild got off that contract. And Greenway's a totally good player with a super unique profile and, and a deal that a year and a half ago, we would have called, like, a steal, an attractive, team-friendly contract. It's going to be really hard to move money here. It's probably going to come at a cost, either in future cap space or futures added. Yeah. Uh, That's okay, what they're locked into we now. got a, a, an interesting trade happening around the league here. One of mm. the more prominent names left on the market. Uh, and for the update from the trade desk, we go to producer Dom. Elliot Freeman reporting that uh, James Van headed to Detroit pending a physical and a trade call. Also important to note, the Seattle Kraken were in on JVR today. So that's uh, that's the trade. Trade desk brought to you by Jags Furniture and Mattress, the Lower Mainland's favorite furniture and mattress destination. Visit Jags showrooms in Langley and Abbotsford or online at jagsfurniture.ca. We'll wait to see what the details are are, are on that one, but on the face of it, Kind of a head-scratcher for me, given what we've seen from Detroit in the last week or so. Obviously, we know all about the Rona trade, but also trading Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, Oscar Sundquist earlier today. They've sent a lot of players out. They've fallen well clear of the playoff race in the Eastern Conference, and now they trade for one of the highest-profile pending UFA forwards left on the market. We'll see what's going the other way, but uh, I'm a little surprised I wonder by that if, one from Detroit. I mean... I don't have a problem with hybrid sell buy, like I don't have a hybrid with, uh, or I don't have a problem with doing the hybrid buy sell thing. And in Detroit's case, because they've sold so aggressively, right? Cap friendly projects them to have a lot of cap space right now. They might have been one of the teams that could take JVR's full freight without Philadelphia retaining money or doing anything like that. You want like we'll see what the return is, but yes. I wonder if they were comfortable getting premium returns on Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, Philip Peronic and Oscar Sunfist, and then turning around and trying and doing what they saw as a buy low to get James Van Riemsdyk. And we've we've seen teams behave like this. Like it was the same year, I think, that the San Jose Sharks did the Douglas Murray trade that we've talked about a lot for mm-hmm. two seconds. That they also bought, I think it was Rafi Torres, right? Like I, I don't have a problem necessarily with teams doing the hybrid approach. You you give your team a carrot, but you also mind the the long term. And Detroit's just made out like such bandits that I think they can afford to uh, part with a little bit here to to upgrade their team short term, provided of course that the return is modest. Yeah, <laughs> reports got to be or the return's got to be pretty modest here. I mean, he's a UFA. That's the big head scratcher to me, and he's thirty three. Like maybe is this even a situation where they have interest in signing him beyond this year? And it's kind of hey, we get first dibs at a pending UFA, and we're going to pay a relatively modest. Uh, price here to do it. Who knows? But that is one of the big forward dominoes that was still uh, on the market. Uh, And that is going to Detroit. And as Dom said, uh, Seattle was in on it as well, uh, but they do not end up getting the player. And Seattle has been quiet. 
among the most quiet, possibly the quietest team. I mean, I think Florida has been very quiet up to this point as well. But Seattle, for a team that has had so much success kind of unanticipatedly this year, they have really, really not done much. We'll see. I mean, they did the Jacob Magna trade uh, a couple of weeks ago. We'll see if anything else transpires for the Kraken. But they seem like maybe just happy to say, you know what, we're a little bit ahead of schedule here. Yeah. We weren't expecting to be in the playoffs. Why rock the boat? Why spend which, this year? Which, by the way, I don't think is a um, – bad call for them you know one thing that we should keep in mind right is like the west and the pacific division in particular has really struggled versus the rest of the league like in western versus eastern competition the west has been getting really poor right so the competition level in the east is just so much higher like to the point where i don't think there's a big gulf in team quality between this Seattle Kraken team that we're like, wow, what a wonderful season for them. They've really come on. You know, they look like a durable team that's going to contend for many years versus, like, Ottawa and Detroit who are likely to miss the playoffs. Right? Like, uh, Ottawa and Detroit, if they were in the Pacific, are probably genuine playoff teams. Like, genuine playoff teams. But in the Atlantic, (laughs) you're facing three heavies Mm -hmm. and a Florida Panthers team that should be a lot heavier. So, you know... I I suppose this sort of filters into the Canucks logic of going for it in that I don't think it's unreasonable to look up ahead of you in the standings and say the Kraken might not repeat. Like, there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, I think it's totally fair to say that the LA Kings have still yet to make the leap from kind of like fake good to actually good. (laughs) I think they're going to make that leap in time because of the way that they've, you know, uh, stockpiled prospects and on and on, but the Fiala trade hasn't done enough to move the needle for them. Their goal differential is still zero. Right? Like they're they're kind of fine. They're fine, and in the Pacific, they're a no-doubter playoff team. Uh, obviously, we've all seen the seams in Calgary this year. It, it, what happens there this offseason? A lot of uncertainty. Uh, Vegas and Edmonton, I think we can look at and say, like, yeah, those teams are pretty good. But, uh, you know, that, that I, wonder, I wonder how much that filters into how Vancouver's assessing their own shape. Um, or, or like what shape they're in versus their division rivals. I'm sure it plays into it at some point, right? I right. mean, you always remember, you're a Jays fan as well, right, to do a cross-sport thing here. Like, the AL East was and is still such a beast, right? And mm. y- you could never be like, ah, I think we'll be like an 85-win team and maybe we'll sneak into the playoffs in the AL East, right, Where the way you could in the Central Divisions or the West Divisions for a long time. You always had to aim a lot higher than that, and I wonder if there's a similar dynamic at play uh, when you're looking at the uh, the Eastern and Western Conference in the NHL right now. Quick update on the James Van Riensdyk to Detroit situation. Darren Dreger tweets, JVR likely heading to Detroit. Deal isn't done as the Red Wings are in the process of moving another player. Uh, Saravelli reporting something <laughs> similar as well. So Detroit, you were saying hybrid buy-sell. They're hybrid buying and selling in this very transaction or in this very moment, apparently, on the process of shipping out a, you know, another player. It was only like six, seven months ago that I was like, at what point does Steve Eiserman need to show progress? By the way, by the way, you know, I, I've met a lot of, uh, NHL legends over the course of my career have been, been blessed to be in a lot of weird situations. Brag. Yeah. By far the funniest person I've ever met was Steve Eiserman. I, it was the, I was uh, walking with the Florida Panthers CEO from a media availability right ahead of our season opener, which was in Tampa. And there was, you know, an elaborate celebration for the home opener in Tampa Bay. And we're in the elevator quite late because the sit down was like right before broadcast. And in the elevator is Steve Eiserman 
who has absolutely not watched like a second of his team's home opener ceremony, right? Like just doesn't care. And he's like, oh yeah, no, so yeah, I, you know, our president's like, that was a great ceremony. Like what a great job you guys do. And he was like, oh, I was watching Syracuse. Like he was literally watching preseason games for his American league affiliate. And um, our, our CEO introduces me, right? He's like, oh, this is our, you know, PR guy, Thomas Drance. And Steve Eiserman goes and he ex- extends his hand to shake my hand and he goes, hi, I'm Steve. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I'll always remember that. Anyway, I was like down on what Eiserman was doing 12 months ago, but I think he's just put on a master class of self-awareness. Like that team, what what does the Detroit Red, what do the Detroit Red But I still lack? think, hold on, I still think they're in a position where he still has to show pro- progress, though. Like I but, think, but he has. But they're in the playoff mix. But they're not really. They're not going to make the playoffs. But that's the Atlantic. Yeah, but I also think they're, they're, I don't know. I, I think they are they're, not as good as their record this year. Mm, I think they are, and and I think they are very much. I think they've shown progress this year, and and despite that, I think Iserman's kept his head on him and said, "What do I still lack? Like, what does Iserman? What does Vancouver have that Steve Iserman doesn't? Right?" Patterson and Hughes, like, yeah. like the the really elite players. Steve Eiserman has Cider, and like maybe Lucas Raymond down the line, maybe Edvinson down the line, but like he needs like four more Ciders, so he's loaded up on the draft capital that he needs to hopefully find it. I think that's wise. I think that's really self aware. To come back to this, just one, hold on one more update here. Uh, Darren Drager. Oh boy, things are changing fast on JVR. Chris Johnston told James Van Riemsdyk is not getting traded to the Red Wings. What? So who knows? We will see where this one goes. Uh, we'll keep you updated on uh, on James Van's Van Riemsdyk uh, and where he ultimately ends up. Friedman reporting it was going to be the Red Wings. Seattle's back in it. Then some no, talk. I, I have no idea. Sorry, that's not then, then some talk that it was going to be uh, pending a, another transaction from Detroit. Now maybe it looks like it's off, but we'll see where that goes. Uh, update from the Canucks to Patrick Alvine will meet with the media at 1 p.m. Yes. So, so of course that will will be off the air. We're going on. We're going right until one. Uh, but uh, of course you'll be able to hear that live here on 650. Bick and Randeep will take over at one, and then I would anticipate uh, that Patrick Alvine will be on the station for an interview, likely with uh, Dan and Sat on Canucks Central as well. But I can't confirm a time on that just yet. <laughs> as I get a big shrug from from our program manager Cam Vera. On so that to bring one. this back to Seattle, though, right? Like, yeah, Seattle themselves not buying right now if that's in fact the case right that they treat this deadline with due conservatism that they recognize that they've arrived a little bit ahead of schedule that this might not be the time to go all in I think that would make good sense from the perspective of you know I do think they've overachieved well and if you look at it like this is a cliche but the ultimate playing with house money team right now is Seattle. Nobody expected them to be in this position. Nope. There is no pressure whatsoever for them to make a splash, for them to win around. Are you kidding? They get to show their fans their first taste of playoff hockey? Like, that's a massive success for them right there. Um, Elliot Friedman saying, something happened with JVR in Detroit, pulled back from deal. So, there you go. It sounds like the deal sending uh, JVR to Detroit is off for now, and uh, with just over, just a hair over 10 minutes before the deadline, uh, we are now in the range where we're going to start seeing, you know, Team X is done, nothing else happening, all those sorts of things, but we haven't seen anything like that 
for the Canucks. So uh, we will keep you posted right down to the wire here and see uh, how anything else uh, plays out around the NHL. Just kind of an update from uh, Frank Saravelli, our regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650. His kind of updated trade target list as of this morning. Number one was JVR, who appears to be in a bit of a limbo right now. John Klingberg, number two. Three, Kevin Hayes from the Flyers. Uh, four, Brock Besser. Five, Vrana was traded. Bonino's been traded. And then you get down to, you know, Colton Pareko, which I think would just be such a tough lift to get done at the deadline. But, you know, that kind of gives you a sense of what we're talking about here. There's not a lot of big names uh, or if they are big names, they they come with significant complications that it's going to be tough for them to uh, to get done. Uh, this text comes in: Alvin talking right at one means nothing else is happening. Right? No, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that because the deadline the deadline's at noon. The deadline is in nine minutes. So typically, sometimes you will see teams that are done hold their press conference like right at noon, and they know they're not going to do anything, and they'll line it up just like that. I think the fact that it's at one suggests that, who knows, we might still see something here. And again, the late last reporting that I've really seen on Vancouver Vancouver's activity comes from our own Sat Shaw, who about 45 minutes ago said, with an hour to go, nothing seems imminent as far as an announcement for the Canucks, but they're still in active discussions. And as we heard from uh, Nonus earlier in the show, right, you can be 10, five minutes to go to the deadline and maybe something you were working on earlier in the morning or earlier on the week. All of a sudden you get that phone call from a GM and it can be back on in a hurry. So we're, we're squarely in that time for, time zone right now uh, for the Canucks and uh, we will see what happens. I'm just uh, desperately trying to uh, get updates on this uh, JVR <laughs> situation. The JVR trade and or non-trade. Yeah, yes, and I guess that really sums up where we are uh, as a league right now that <laughs> we're all desperately uh, waiting for updates on JVR because there's not a lot happening around the NHL right now. And again, not a huge surprise if the deadline passes with a whimper as opposed to a bang. Uh, this entire month has been an explosion of NHL transactions and news in a really tough market, a market in which we saw just about nobody <laughs> with a contract over a million dollars move. Like, between September 1 and the Canucks executing the Bo Horvat trade, right, there have been four transactions involving an NHL player with more than a million dollars on their contract. Mm-hmm. Four in seven months. And since the Canucks made that Horvat deal, things have been moving, they've been active, they've been fascinating. It's been a thrilling month of teams loading up, selling, seizing opportunities. And at the end of the day, as we approach seven minutes until the NHL trade deadline, there's not enough. There's not a lot left to do. No, there's not a lot of inventory. There's <laughs> not a lot of inventory. Especially given how reluctant teams are to take on term. All right, we're going to take a little bit of an early break here. We will come back uh, just as the trade deadline is striking, and we'll let you know if the Canucks do indeed do anything ahead of this year's deadline. Uh, one more hour for us. We'll do an hour of analysis after the deadline passes. It's Canucks stock here on Sportsnet 650.